1 Peter 1 verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As I read these first words of verse 3 that tell us blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus the words of Psalm 103 come immediately to my mind. Words that instruct and urge my heart and my soul on to bless the God of my salvation with everything that is within me. May I read those words for us? Psalm 103, beginning in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Wonderful words of encouragement. This psalm is a psalm that calls us to remembrance and to praise, reminding each of our souls of who God really is and what our response is to be to Him and to the great love that He has shown to us. That although He is the great and almighty God, the creator and sustainer of all things great and small, He is also close and intimate and personal in His love and in His care and in His provision to each of us, to you and to me personally. It's so very important that we always remember all of God's blessed benefits as he says in these words to not become so comfortable in our salvation and in our daily provision that we forget from whence our salvation and our peace our joy our provision our deliverance has come because unfortunately too often forgetfulness is the way of our careless hearts so then as we begin our worship study this morning May we do exactly as these scriptures call us to do. May we bless the Lord and call to remembrance His great benefits. Verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Note as we begin this worship study that when God wants us to remember and to deal with a particular point of understanding of his word he repeats himself and he does that here as he again reminds us of how we got into this blessed condition of salvation and simply put it is because he reached his own hand into our soul and he caused us he caused us to be saved to be born again from above these words here caused us to be born again. They are repeating the understanding that we got last week as we studied the words of verse 2, which tell us tells us that He elects, He chooses those whom He saves. May I read those words for us? Verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, And then note in verse 2, these words refer back to elect exiles, that they are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit 
for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. And then again in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. Folks, these words tell us clearly. And then they repeat to us just how first these Jews then and we now have come into this blessed condition of eternal salvation. We have come into this condition solely by the hand of God. By the hand of God. Yes, our free will is intermixed, but our condition of salvation comes solely by the hand of God. Last week as we studied the words foreknowledge of God, we found that most all of the Christians are in accord in their belief that God does choose and elects those who come to Him for salvation. All of the Christian denominations agree on that because that's exactly what these words say. The only point of disagreement that we learned last week between the brethren is about how much God influences our turning to Him and about how we then are able to obtain this faith that then carries us on into belief and then causes us to receive Christ as Savior and Lord. For me, these words here in verse 3 satisfy that question. Here we read that He, God Himself, has caused us to come to Him and to be born again. Those words, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. The King James Version renders the translation of these words, God has begotten us. It's so very important that we understand the meaning of these words. To be begotten means that we ourselves had nothing to do with our being born again. No more than a baby has a say or a choice about whether he or she is born to a woman. You and I were begotten. We were begotten into our condition of being born again. We were caused by an outside person, God Himself, to be born again. That's what these words tell us. And praise be to God that that's so. And note these words carefully as to why this needed to take place in the way that it has. God did it this way because He knew that we needed mercy. Those words again. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. When is it that a person needs mercy? A person needs mercy when they're condemned. In this case, to eternal death because of sin. But when they're condemned... And they can't help or save themselves. The only way that that person can be helped or saved is if someone outside of themselves who has the authority is able then to reach in and to save them. And here we see that God must be that outside help. That in His great foreknowledge, in His great enduring love, that's the meaning of the word mercy, is endearing and enduring love. That in His great foreknowledge and enduring love, He, God the Father, knew that we, by our own efforts, could not save ourselves from the condemnation that was surely to be ours in our dead condition. And because of His great mercy, because of His love, He took the initiative and He caused us to be saved, to be born again. That's what these words say. May I give this one more degree of emphasis and put it in the simplest of terms. Before I was saved, I was completely dead in my sins. 
I did not know that I was dead, but according to these scriptures, especially in Ephesians, we're told in several places there that we were dead in our sins. And being in that condition of dead, my mind, my heart, my soul were so dead that I couldn't fathom my wretched condition. I didn't know that I was dead and I didn't know that I needed to be saved. But thanks be to God in His great mercy and grace, He called to me. He called to me. And when He called, He also opened the eyes and the ears of my heart to hear His call. Scripture says that. And then thankfully, He didn't stop there. He also caused me to have faith and to respond with my free will and to receive Him as Savior and Lord. Now some say, but those two things, God causing me to hear and believe and then my free will responding to Him sounds like conflicting statements. And yes, they do sound as if they conflict. They are a paradox that our small minds will never reconcile. But again, thanks be to God, He can and He does make both of those concepts reconcile perfectly, perfectly together. With the result being that I am now saved. Praise be to God, He called and I answered. Listen to these words that bespeak that truth. They're in Romans 8, beginning in verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many believers, among many brethren. And listen, and those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. That process is every step going from wretched, dead in our sins, through salvation, through sanctification, and then the guarantee that we will be glorified with Him in heaven. Nothing left undone. Our salvation is all of God. He is ever and always the cause, as these words tell us. He is the cause, the first cause of all that takes place in the hearts and minds of men and women. He's not a responder to the things we do. That's something that we get mixed up in our minds. He is not a responder to the things we do. He is not the second cause within the activities and the behaviors of men. When as we stumble and as we make a mess out of our lives, that He has to come in then, seeing that we have done all these things wrong, that He has to come in with Romans 8.28 and clean up our mess. He does do that. He does do that. He works all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. But listen, God is never second in line. He is never a second cause. He is ever and always the first cause of all that takes place. He knows and He understands our condition of soul. He knows full well that we were born into this world already dead in our sins and trespasses. And He knows that unless He steps in and and initiates all of the steps that it takes to save our wretched souls, then we will simply continue on down our path of death and destruction in this condition of eternal damnation and on into hell. As for me, 
I cannot accept that God has to wait around to see if we're going to do right or wrong before He can know if He's going to choose us. He spoke to that question specifically in talking about Jacob and Esau. He said there in the Scriptures, He said, before they were ever born, before they ever had an opportunity to do anything right or wrong, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. No, I don't understand all of that. And yes, sometimes it flies in the face of what we would think God's mercy and grace ought to look like. But it does not make God a criminal. We cannot indict Him for crimes against what we think mercy and grace ought to look like. God is holy. And He already knows everything from first to last. And He surely knows the way of men and women's hearts. So may we please stop trying to reduce God down to someone that we can understand and anticipate. He is God and all of the matters that take place from first to last, our behavior, our misbehavior, and then His help and His redemption, they are all under His guidance and part of His first cause. He graciously allows our hearts to go the errant ways that we choose. And He allows the consequences then that result from our misbehavior to do their painful work in us. Sometimes losing our families, our jobs, and so much more. But then by and through it all, as we repent and as we turn back to Him, He mercifully works all that has taken place together for our good. Again, yes, all of those things are very difficult to comprehend. And I certainly don't. But I do know by faith that they are nonetheless absolutely true. I not only see them in Scripture, I see them in my daily life, I see them in your daily life. I see them being worked out in every one that I look at each day. Look back at these words here and you can just see the amazing grace that flows through each of these expressions from one grace to another. Grace upon grace. Listen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want us to spend just a few minutes before we close on this expression, these words, born again. Because it is ever so important that we understand their meaning. We've heard those words so often and we've used them in conversation so often that they sometimes lose their impact in all that has taken place within them. May I remind us that to be born again means that there is a complete transformation that takes place in who we are, in our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our souls, our spirit, but especially within our souls. 2 Corinthians 5, we read, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature, a whole new creature. The old has passed away, and behold, everything becomes new. Those words are simple, but they are ever so meaningful. The very moment that we believe in Christ and we receive Him as Savior and Lord, we are immediately transformed into a whole new and different person. Immediately. The old has passed away, and behold, everything within us becomes new. I was speaking at length about this to a new old believer this past week. 
She's a lady in her mid-80s who has heard the words of God all of her life and thought that she believed them. And perhaps to some extent she did believe them. But she had never received God's truth into her soul for salvation. She could speak the language ever so well, but she had never completed that transaction. And so she spent most all of those years languishing somewhere between real life and spiritual death. Recently, she took the step of praying to receive Christ as her Savior. And now there is an obvious change that's taking place within her soul. And it's obvious as you would look at her and as you would hear her voice, hear her testimony. As these words tell us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new, she is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That transformation spoken about there comes in two forms. Always in those two forms. A once and forever salvation, but then also a beginning of an ongoing transformation through sanctification. A lifelong changing that only the daily presence of the Holy Spirit can bring. But it begins, and you can see the beginning changes take place in every soul that truly has come to know Christ. As I spoke with this dear lady at length, I could see how all of those steps were taking place. And praise be to God, she now has what God calls here this living hope. Living hope. What does living hope look like in a believer's heart? It begins with the full and confident understanding that we are saved. I spoke with her about the words of 1 John 5. I asked her if she was absolutely sure that she was now saved. And she said rather timidly that she hoped so. She hoped so. I encouraged her that she could actually know for sure. And I shared these words from 1 John 5, verse 13 with her. Those words read, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you and me to know for sure and to be convinced that we are saved so that the hope that wells up within us will not be timid anymore but can become a real confidence, never wavering. Listen to these other words from this same passage back in verse 11 of 1 John 5. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Folks, those words are as simple as they sound. Salvation and eternal life can come through no other source, no other means, but through Jesus Christ, His death on the cross, and His resurrection. And when a person receives Christ into their soul, they receive the precious eternal life that He gives to them. This dear lady had received Christ and she now has life. And the same is true for you and me. From the first moment that we receive Christ, into our souls, we also stepped into eternal life. We have life in us because we have Christ in us. But may I ask, may I ask, are you personally fully confident in your own soul that this is true for you? That this is true for you personally? 
that you're saved, that if you died before the end of this day, that you would immediately be with Christ in heaven. If you still have any doubt, if you still have any doubt at all, please don't let this moment go by. Surrender yourself to all that God is telling you in these words. And I'll close with them. This is the testimony. This is the Word of God that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son, the Lord Jesus, has life. You cannot just believe in Him. You must also receive Him. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Praise be to God. Let's pray.